Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Genuinely Interested Podcast with your host, Roy Bensvi. This week, I have Frederick Granith, who is a photographer and a photographer that mostly focuses on the Arctic. I guess he doesn't see himself as a photographer, but he works as a photographer and works with photographers, mainly his uh, partner in life, crime and all, photographer Melissa Schaefer. And as a couple, they focus on mainly the Arctic region and mainly on polar bears and climate change, which is something that is, I mean, other than COVID-19, I, I don't see a more pressing issue than climate change. Obviously, it's not as uh, swift and, and, and fast, but the implications are far and wide what could happen from climate change and what probably inevitably will happen. So it's just not as fast as COVID-19. But make no mistake, you know, climate change is one of the most serious and pressing issues of our time. And it's something that will definitely hit hard in the next couple of decades. And unfortunately, some some of the countries that are least equipped to deal with it will probably be hit the hardest. So hopefully this pandemic wakes us up a little bit to the realities of the natural world and what could happen. And maybe we'll be um, better protectors of the environment going forward. So I had a really good time with Frederick. I think we see a lot of things alike. You know, I'm an amateur photographer. I, it's something I enjoy doing, but his images or him and Melissa's images are very compelling. And they hope, and I hope as well, that the story comes through, the story that they're trying to tell. And I believe it does. So, you know, we had a great chat about what it's like being in, in, in the polar regions, hostile environment, minus 50 Celsius at times, what it's like to see a polar bear up close, the kind of feeling you get from seeing just such an amazing animal such a close distance. Obviously, climate change and a little bit about what it's like in Sweden right now, uh, how their approach was a little bit different than what's going on. And yeah, just generally just had a really good, honest conversation, which is something that I think is very particular to these YouTube videos, audio podcasts, just these long form conversations that you can have where you're really maybe not getting from um, conventional or traditional media just because of budget and time constraints and what you're allowed and not allowed to say. So here you can talk about anything and bring on people that really have something to say with no political affiliations, with no political agenda, just, I guess, spitting truth is one way to say it. So I had a lot of fun. You know, I'm going to keep on bringing different types of guests with uh, different worldviews and different experiences. And, you know, I really enjoy talking to people from all walks of life. So I'm, you know, going to keep putting out two episodes every week. So I hope you enjoy them. And without further ado, here is Frederick Granith. Hey, Frederick, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing? Good, good. Thank you. Thanks for coming on the show. Do you prefer Fred or, or Frederick? 
Either way, whatever you're comfortable with. <laughs> Fred is fine. <laughs> yeah, Fred. Okay. Yeah. I feel like, you know, that's we tend to make uh names shorter as we get to know people more. Like you start out with like Thomas, and then like after two years it'll be Tom, and then like Frederick, yeah. and then after a year it'll be Fred. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But yeah. I, I rarely hear my name around here though, because we we spend me and Melissa, my partner spend most most of the time you know just the two of us and she she just calls me booba so <laughs> <laughs> i will i won't call you that all right I'll, oh, okay. fred, i think fred's good yeah <laughs> fred is fine <laughs> um cool so yeah i mean if, if maybe you can tell the listeners a little bit about uh, yourself your background what, what you and uh, melissa do yeah um well we work in the arctic um with a, a focus on the life of the polar bear and of course what is happening uh up there uh with climate change uh where the polar bear plays a very central part um and then you know from there how what is happening in the arctic actually affects us all so the bottom line of everything is, um, I guess you could say, uh, our connection to nature and to what is important uh, in life. But we're doing it by telling the story of the polar bear. Um, so I've been I've been working up there since um, year two thousand. So it's basically twenty years. Um, and from the beginning, I don't know, it started, I came there to Svalbard, Spitsbergen, kind of uh, out of curiosity. Uh, I had heard about it from a, a friend had been there and told told me about the, you know, the ice and the polar bears and everything. <clears throat> and back then I worked with advertising and design. So I uh, basically designed uh, books and CDs and, and things for other people uh, as a freelancer. Um, so I yeah. came up there sort of on a long weekend trip just to check it out. Uh, and I fell in love immediately. Uh, and just, you know, after a minute after stepping out of the airport, um, I just knew that that part of the world would would be a big part of me forever. I didn't know how back then, but I just felt, you know, all the way into my soul, whatever, uh, that it was something, something huge uh, was happening with me. So that's how it started. And then I, I saw that back then uh, there was no in my opinion, like beautiful book of photography made about that region. So that was what I first set out to do, uh, try to make a book um, about the world of ice, basically how beautiful it was, all the mountains and fjords and the glaciers and the sea ice and everything. So that's how it started. And I had went out on a it started with a like a short uh, summer hike you know i was completely inexperienced shit scared of polar bears i didn't want to see them <laughs> uh, <laughs> so i had like a i think a 20 dollar you know tent from the 
cheap sports store. Silver colored, yeah. by the way. It blew to pieces the first night. Um, yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> so that's how it started, and then the the you know the short hikes became longer, and the the you know the trips turned into expeditions, and through the years, you know, I also got closer and closer to the polar bear. Um, and one year, I think I spent uh, ten months out of twelve uh, in the field, so I spent a lot of time up there. And, then, and that's in Svalbard, right? Yeah, Svalbard, correct. Okay. Um, and then in 2008, the the book, the first book was ready, called Vanishing World, uh, which I did with another photographer, uh, which was a huge success, um, published in 10 languages, I think. And yeah, lots of, you know, media praise. And it was a huge success. Um, so you work. So, so you work with other, photo but you're a photographer as well, right? But I know, like your partner Melissa, she's a photographer, and you're saying you worked with a photographer on the first book. As yeah, well. correct. So it's kind of like well, I, I don't. I'm not really. I'm not really. A, I love photography. Uh, I do take photos, mm -hmm. but um, I wouldn't call myself a photographer. Um, you know, as we work now, Melissa, Melissa Schaefer, my partner in life love crime and work uh <laughs> she is the <laughs> photographer and i carry her stuff basically uh, I, I, and do You're some work <laughs> i'm the assistant yes yeah <laughs> uh well you know when it was the thing also you know working in a region like this under those conditions um there is you know a million things to think of and to plan and to mm -hmm. to do yeah uh, before you actually are in the position where you can take a photo. So if you have a, a photo of a polar bear walking towards you in the sunset, coming to that position, to that point, to that moment, is it's a result of, uh, you know, months of planning and also years of experience often to be able to actually be there in a safe way. Um, so there's a lot, you know, around, uh, it's not just taking, taking the photo. So, um, that's, and that's what I like to do. You know, I, I like to plan and build projects like this new book that we have. Um, that's what I like to do and work on the, you know, why are we doing this and how are we, you know, going to reach out with, the message that we want people to hear, which is the message from the polar bear, what the polar bear has to tell us. Um, that's what we're trying to figure out. And the photos is, uh, you know, a tool to do that. Yeah. So we're not also there just, we're not there to, you know, just take pretty photos of sunsets and the polar bears and ice. It's about the message. It's about storytelling. Storytelling can change the world. A single great photograph can, you know, maybe not change the world. You need a message. You need a story to reach people. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of great single photos that I can think of that, you know, just there, there was a moment in time and they really defined an era or changed, mm -hmm. you know, people's perception. So photographers throughout. I mean, I don't know, I guess at least the last hundred, 
hundred years or so have, have really been pivotal, I think, in doing that. And I do want to get to like all the, the the polar bears and the logistics and all that stuff, but I want to you know talk a little bit more more about you in the beginning. Mm. Um, so you said, or maybe I don't remember if you said or I read about you, but you were originally an admin. And then hmm. you came to Svalbard and that click just happened where you were like, I want to make that change. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I don't know. I grew up, uh, when I was a kid, I, I spent a lot of time in, in nature. I had a strong connection to it, much thanks to my mom who dragged me out there, you know, picking blueberries and stuff. And I hated it at times, but, but it put something inside me, you know, nature, um, a very strong and deep, uh, connection and love for nature. And then I lost it for a bunch of years, uh, working with, yeah, advertising and design. And it was, you know, I lived in New York actually a couple of years, Paris, Amsterdam. Oh, really? It was, a, oh. yeah, it was a, well, for for some time, I would say <clears throat> I lived a pretty bad life, you know, late nights and a lot of stuff that's not good for you. Um, yeah, we've all been there. Sure, sure. Yeah. So I had that. <laughs> so I lost the, you know, I lost the, the, the connection to nature. And I think when I came back to the, or when I, when I came to Svalbard the first time, I felt that just, you know, kind of rushing over me again. And as I stepped out of the, the airport, the you know the the mountains and the fjord everything was so big even the sky was bigger than at home um everything it was like, like landing on another planet like landing on the moon or something yeah it was uh yeah spectacular but that was a long time ago um and now that part of the world is a huge part of, of me and us and what we do. It's, it's our office. Basically. It's not a bad office to have, man. Do you think the cold no, no. <laughs> is, is part of the thrill? Because a lot of people, you know, they love, because I think anybody that would see the, the images or, or go to places like in, anywhere in the Arctic, doesn't matter, you know, Iceland, uh, Svalbard, places in, in Canada, mm. Alaska, etc., you know, it's just, it's so beautiful, right? It's so vast and, and, and desolate. There's also not a lot of people and, mm. you know, animals that you wouldn't see anywhere else, et cetera. But it, the cold, like you would just, <laughs> people just don't like cold. So is, mm. is the cold like something that, you know, you say to yourself, all right, this is just something I have to endure in order to enjoy the beauty. Or is it part of the thrill that you enjoy being in such cold, extreme um, regions? It's a very good question, actually. Um, I don't love the cold itself. No, I don't. Not really. It's uh, it's a constant struggle, you know, especially especially when it's really, really cold uh, during yeah. February, March, April, and you have to struggle. And sometimes, uh, you know, it's uh, it's uh, freezing, freezing cold, and then you get this wind in your in your face, and it, it gets so cold you you start screaming almost. <laughs> you start crying. Imagine. Uh, so no, I don't love it. I don't love the cold itself, but the uh, it's something with you have to work with all the time. It's uh, I don't know. It's it's. Uh, 
it's the big picture i guess the the whole world up there uh everything uh the cold is a part of it so i don't i, I don't have a good answer for that actually i don't love the cold itself <laughs> really. yeah you deal with it you manage it yeah i manage it we manage it mostly uh, yeah you're not a you're, you're not Wim Hof where you're just sitting no. out in boxers out in uh <laughs> in, in no the and I'm and not like, an, an you know adventure guy I wouldn't want to ski to the North Pole or climb the highest mountain I don't yeah. see really the thrill of doing that when you just d do it to have done it um you know with with all respect to to the great you know north pole skiers and, and everything i love many of them yeah but I, i'm not that guy um yeah. for me it's more the what we what we see during the during this uh trip what we can document um not the the expedition adventure uh climbing mountains or reaching the pole uh, that's not really my thing Someone said, you know, that the adventure is what happens when, when you planned your expedition badly. Um, <laughs> there's some one. truth to that. Yeah. Oh. Um, what, what do you think the coldest that you've ever been in? Uh, well, I had one, I think it like a three week expedition on one of the smaller islands, eastern part of Svalbard and it was somewhere Celsius than minus forty five fifty for for the entire trip. Ooh, that's cold. That's yeah, that bad. was cold. Yeah, that was really uh, cold. <laughs> that's like Siberia. That's Siberia cold. That's uh, Siberia that's cold. cold. That's true. Yeah, yeah. minus fifty. But d yeah. does the? I mean, the the does the photography gear even work in that type of weather? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um you you need to take care of batteries. That's all. Yeah. Um usually when we go out there we stay in on, on Svalbard, around Svalbard you have these old trapper cabins. Um they're super small. Um there's like a bunk bed on a table. That's it. And there's space for one person to stand up at a time. Uh, and these were built by polar bear hunters, uh, most of them, uh, around a hundred years ago, 1920, 1930. Uh, and they're up, they're being upheld by the governor, by the state up there. They go around the islands every year to check that everything is in good uh, conditions. Condition. Mm -hmm. Um, because quite often these are, you know, a polar bear goes through the wall or falls through the roof. Um, so we stay in those, um, out there. Very cool. Um, so you, you mentioned earlier that you guys lead expeditions in the Arctic. Can you tell us a little bit about those, uh, expeditions, mostly photography expeditions, correct? Right. Yes. We, we, every winter, every spring, we charter a Swedish ship called Freya where we take guests uh, with us. Um, and it's an awesome way to uh, see uh, this world of ice and usually see, uh, encounter a bunch of beautiful polar bears and, and other wildlife. Um, 
it's kind of an action version of a long winter expedition because with a ship we can cover um <clears throat> quite a big area um mm-hmm. like go all around the islands and see a lot of amazing things and we have the what i think is might might be the best expedition ship that, um, that i know of um it's, a, it's an awesome trip um we do it two three times every year this year of course we had we had two expeditions (laughs) yeah check our website (laughs) (laughs) actually next all all trips are sold out no we have a few spots actually but um, for for next year probably right yeah for next year yes yeah Yeah. uh we did have two trips now this year but of course had to cancel them because of this evil evil virus yeah, it's uh, it's stopped the whole world. I mean, I see in Sweden they're tackling it a little bit differently than the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. It's more yeah. focused on, on herd immunity, and you know, I see pictures, and it looks like coffee shops are open and people are sitting <laughs> together. And I think the whole world's like scratching their head, what, what's going on? Like I every know. here, because here in the U.S., everyone's indoors, <laughs> everyone's closed. Where I mean, at least for the most part, you know, you're trying to keep your distance, and masks mm. are everywhere, and 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 the economy is crashing, and unemployment's uh, up, et cetera, et cetera. But it seems like there's a few countries like like Sweden that mm. have, you know, I, I, again, I don't, I'm not sure what the stats are um, as far mm. as um, confirmed cases and deaths, but it looks like it's uh, relatively lower than than a lot of other countries. Yeah, it is. I mean, Sweden is, um, well, f- first of all, you know, who is doing it the right way? We will not know, uh, until yeah. afterwards. Uh, they, they, you know, media compares all the different countries and the death rates and so on now, but I think it's in a year or two years when we can see who, who did it the best way. And it's not a contest either. You know, we're, yeah. we're all in this together. So, but mm-hmm. yeah, Sweden has, you know, we have a lot of friends around Europe and also, in, of course, in the U.S. and New York and so on. Um, and like in Italy and Spain, you have military in the streets. And you're only, yeah. I mean, they're opening up now, but you're only allowed out to go shop for groceries. And you could be stopped by the police and they check that you have the receipt that you actually went to the store. Otherwise, you need to stay at home. Um, and of course... That is a way of um, stopping the spread of the virus, but it also means that you you know you 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 completely stop the economy from working and people get un- unemployed, businesses go bankrupt. Um, and I guess that um, you know you can only shut down a country like that for maybe one or two or three months because after that everything everyone goes bankrupt and then you have problems bigger than the virus so what i think sweden has been doing from the start is what the all the other countries will have to do now that they open up because now when they start opening up again and removing uh, uh, restrictions and so on the virus is still there it it hasn't gone away. It will not go away until we have a vaccine, which could be another year. So the question now is when, you know, Germany and Italy and Spain and Norway, they start opening up, they open the schools, people go back to work. What happens now? That That's, uh, that's the big question because the virus is still out there. 
Um, yeah, it's um, so we'll we're talking see about a second wave. Yeah. 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 There's so much don't we know. don't know. And, and, you know, I was talking to a friend yesterday about, yeah, about the trip we were supposed to go to Svalbard. Actually, we went to Svalbard. We flew up uh, first week of March. Um, and we were, and that's just, what is it? It's like seven weeks ago, I think six weeks ago, even. Mm -hmm. Um, and we flew up to Svalbard and we were happy. We were looking forward to a long winter going out with our ship, going out on expeditions, and, you know, work with our polar bears. Um, and that was just six weeks ago, but it feels like a year ago. Yeah. Um, everything has happened so fast. Um, so. You know, the question is, that was six weeks ago. The question then is, what does it look like in, in six weeks from now? Maybe it starts looking better at the same speed as it's, you know, looked that, that took us to this point. Because now it feels like we're kind of at the top of the pile of shit, pardon my French, uh, <laughs> of this uh, virus okay. with, with all the deaths and, uh, all the bad things that, that are happening. But yeah, I mean, um, I'm in the U S so it's yeah. the worst year. Yeah. And, and we, you know, I think on the one hand, they're trying to be a little bit more lax with some of the restrictions that they're putting forth. So they're starting to let people go back or they're talking about potentially getting people back in the workforce. Again, it depends on the state, but overall, mm -hmm. I think mid-May, and that could potentially work, but then I guess we'll have to see what happens, you know, with the second wave come mm. October, November, which they're talking about. Maybe they're going to have some contingency plans where people are going out for a few months and then bringing them back in, or if you're in a certain risk group, you should go back. I don't know what, if they have, I mean, look, I don't trust, not, not that I don't trust, this particular government <laughs> hasn't been great, so I don't know no. <laughs> what what they will do come November. Uh, right. It doesn't look like they've had a plan so far, so I don't know if they'll have a contingency plan so far into the future. Hmm. It's a lot of speculation, but I think the only one so far that has been um, that something good have, has come of it, if you can even say that, has been the planet. It looks like Carbon yeah. emissions have gone down. Uh, pollution has gone down. Animals are look like they're coming back, and you're seeing them in places that we've never or that we haven't seen them in you know decades. So no. in that sense, it's almost been like a reset button for the planet, you know. Absolutely, and yeah, it, it is. I mean, there are so many aspects to this um, apart from the virus itself, and that we have to stay at yeah. home. That people are dying, but. You know, this comes from nature and we cannot really control it. And maybe that will, you know, help people understand that we, we cannot just go on and, you know, do things without thinking about consequences. Um, yeah. we are not the, the kings, this kings or queens of this planet because nature is and nature can fuck us up anytime it wants to. So we better be nice to it, you know. Um, I hope, I yeah, hope, I hope that could be a result of all this. 
Um, but anyway, as far as the it virus go goes, you know, it could go either way. It yeah, could, it can. It can. Exactly. I know. I, I'm thinking the same because now the economy is down. People are unemployed. So once, you know, if you listen to your wonderful president, I'm guessing that once <laughs> you can restart all this, it's going to be, you know, floor it and just you know, burn all the oil and coal you can and let's make all the money we lost and more uh, as fast as possible. That's the risk, of course. Yeah. Um, but I hope not. We'll see. You also yeah, have an election. So yeah, yeah. That's, uh, yeah. I don't want to get too much into politics. That's always no, no, a slippery no. slope. Summer. <laughs> <laughs> sure sure but you know it it goes for it, it's it's not just the US this goes for all countries and um yeah. and you know we all have politicians who who um want to win the next election and the, the the danger of politics of course is uh the short-sightedness that you know that they're kind of short-sighted most of them um Oh, 100%. There's no and, incentive for them to think 10 or 20 years no. into the future because the election is only three or four <clears throat> years from now. So exactly. a lot of them, unfortunately, are. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, lots of people, what they look at is, you know, their wallet. And or do I have a job? Do I make money? Do I make good money? Do I make more money than last year? Then if yes, then, well, the president or the prime minister or party or whatever, they're doing a good job. So maybe I let them stay. Um, yeah. that's, uh, the short, the, you know, this thing about being short-sighted, that's the big danger to, to everything here. And it's not just politics. It's also the big corporations, you know, the business leaders, all they care about is the quarterly results and you know, mm -hmm. keeping their job and uh, making a big profit this year and next year. But what it looks like in five or 10 years, that's maybe what we should uh care more about yeah i think there's um a lot of misinformation out there as well um, mm. where they're almost saying that if you you can't have a, a quote-unquote green economy and still be profitable so yeah. you have to be you know bad for the environment doesn't matter in what industry you are and that's the only way to be profitable and all these people that are talking about Green, you know, uh, renewable energy and green jobs and being sustainable, uh, they're going to collapse the economy and it's not possible. And I think there, I mean, I don't think like if you look at, you know, any, any economy, a lot of economists and a lot of people in the renewable and, and you know, energy industry, mm. they will tell you we can't do both and we can mm. actually create more jobs because it's new jobs, right? Green jobs yeah. are new jobs. So yeah. it's an emerging industry and therefore you can create this new industry with a lot of economic boom behind it. But yeah. people are set in, it's it's almost like there's, there's, there's camps, right? And people want to stay in their camps. They don't want to say, Oh, the other camp is right. Cause if they're right about one thing, maybe they could be right about a lot of other things. And then who am I politically? It's just there's so much like you know it's one of those things where you pull one string and then the whole thing comes apart. Mm. So I think people don't want to listen a lot of times because it goes against what their camps believe in, and yeah, yeah that's the whole ideological problem. Absolutely, absolutely, um, absolutely, and also turning for for a lot of big businesses turning in a green way might 
might cost a little in the beginning, but I think in the end they will have to go that way. Um, hundred so percent have to go. Yeah, have to. Yeah, yeah. Um. All right. So yeah, you know, I uh back to the to you know what you guys do in, in the Arctic. Um. You know, when you look at some of the pictures that that you guys post. Mm. Um, and I've seen this obviously from other people that, that shoot in the, in, you know, in these Arctic regions. Um, they're just so amazing. You got like these reds, blues, purples, oranges, <laughs> violets, like all these crazy colors. I mean, dude, when you, when you're there again, like, mm. I don't know how it looks when you're there. And, and, and I'm sure a lot of times in the photos, maybe it comes out a little different. Um, but yeah, not, not you really. We... No, no. I mean, we try to stick to. You know, keep it as real as we possibly can. Some colors are difficult, you know, capturing. But yeah. but yes, I mean, these crazy colors that you see in some photos um, are mostly from um, the period when the um, midwinter, because if we talk Svalbard specifically, then you have the polar night for about four months from October to February when the sun is under the horizon nonstop 24 seven. And the, the, you know, the only sources of light are this, this the moon and the stars and the, the Northern lights. Um, but then the sun starts to return and it slowly, you know, seeks its way over the horizon in end of February. And then you have February, March, and from middle of April, you have the midnight sun. So then the sun never sets uh, during all summer. But this time between the polar night and the midnight sun, which is basically from end of February, all of March, basically. Um, then you have these insane colors during during sunset and sunrise, dusk and dawn. And yeah, you know, some, sometimes when you're out there, you have to pinch yourself. Really, I, I yeah. do it literally. I pinch myself to check if it's, <laughs> if it's real. Yeah, um, wake up, it's wake insane. up. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, you're yeah. walking around some weird dream. It's um, yeah, it's it's some, sometimes it's really crazy. And then sitting at home months later, going through all the photos, and you have to really check if you know the exposure and things are right. Um, yeah, did right? it really look like this? But yeah, it did. Because <laughs> it almost <laughs> no, looks fake insane. sometimes, right? Yeah, I know, I know, it does, it does. But for sure, yeah. no, 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 no. That's what we're doing. Uh, it's important to us to stick to to uh, what it actually looks like. I mean, with Photoshop and Lightroom and thing, you can, you know, you can do anything these days. Yeah. But it's important to actually document it the way it is. That's what we're doing. We're, you know, telling people um, about that world, and then it's very important to stick to the truth and not just. We're not out to make, you know, Kodak moments or pretty postcards. That's not what we're doing. Um, so, but yeah, it's uh, it's an insane. Uh, world and scenery especially especially during midwinter uh, it's beautiful sure how hard is it to sleep in the summertime if it's <laughs> 24 hours not 24 hours of sun yeah that must fuck up your whole uh you know your whole it, inner inner clock it does it it does it really does 
uh, I have a problem with it. Even when I spend a lot of time there during the summer, if you know, we're there for months, uh, I never really get into it completely. I mean, you black out your, wherever you sleep, you try to black it out, but still yeah. it's, uh, it's weird. Um, and I prefer the polar night actually when you have like constant night. Uh, I very much prefer that. Really? Yeah, I do. Um, because also the polar night is not pitch black. You know, you have the stars, you have the moon, you have the northern lights. It's, uh, yeah. And even if the sun is under the horizon, you get some kind of, uh, light from, uh, from the sun. Um, and actually some, some, when it's really cold up there, you have like ice crystals in the, in the atmosphere. Um, and then the, the sun can, uh, shine on these from under the horizon. It can, you know, spread light to these ice particles in the atmosphere and the, the whole sky turns like purple. It's, uh, it's weird. Like a fantasy. <laughs> It's like, like a fantasy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like one of those uh, hallucinogens that you take and you start seeing everything <laughs> in these weird colors and yeah. everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's crazy. Yeah. But, no, it's I beautiful. mean, why, why? So, first of all, uh, the Northern Lights, the Aurelia Borrelius, is, is like my number one bucket list thing to do. That's yeah. been, I think, since I was such a, a very small kid, must have been seven or eight i think i saw it somewhere for the first time and i've always wanted to see it and for some reason i just till this day i haven't had a chance to i haven't been in the right place in the right time of year and i just mm. haven't had the luck to see it so that's like number one number one before anything yeah. else like that's something <laughs> i want to i want to see in the next like year or two yeah have to yeah. see it yeah but yeah, um as far as as far as polar bears you know what originally got you like why specifically polar bears i think a lot of people tend to care because you know there's we have millions of animals but we tend mm. to care about i don't know if it's facial features that maybe some animals are, are cute or some animals mm. inspire some sort of awe in us like like a lion or a bear or a fox <laughs> you know there's mm. certain animals that we just look at and we're like <gasps> like wow mm. this animal is so majestic or so strong or so beautiful that we're just drawn to them like what do you think it, it's about polar bears that kind of drew you to them? uh well the power of it the beauty of it how extremely intelligent it is and how perfectly adapted it is to you know, perhaps the most extreme environment we have on this planet, how this animal needs this extreme place um, to survive. And also at the same time, how, you know, the polar bear is like the biggest, most powerful, most to, to humans, most dangerous land living predator. But at the same time, it's so fragile and so vulnerable. Um, that fascinates me. But then also as I got <clears throat> closer and closer to this um, magnificent creature, uh, I got more and more fascinated with the, like the, I don't know, the, the presence of it. When you, mm -hmm. when you stand in front of a polar bear and he stares you in the eye, 
it feels like he can read your thoughts um, and smell what's going inside or going on inside your head. It's it's impossible to describe it. Um, it's such a beautiful, magnificent, amazing, and powerful creature. Uh, that's, I think, what fascinates me on, on a personal level. And then, of course, um, the polar bear is uh, the greatest uh, spokesperson uh, for what is happening with our climate. Because by looking yeah. at you know the, the life of the polar bear and what happens with the polar bear, we can actually see our own future in a way. Um, the ice is melting. Also, the Arctic itself is a great way of, of telling people uh, in an easy to understand way what is happening when ice turns to water. A five year old understands that. Um, you would be surprised at some people <laughs> here in the US that don't understand that. No, but, fully, but, full, full, full adults that just don't comprehend that. But we'll, we'll leave that for later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, so that's that. And the, yeah, the Arctic is, of course, an easy and good way of, of showing uh, what is happening with climate change. And also, the Arctic is where you you see it the most clear. Obviously, when ice turns to water, it happens first in the Arctic. It happens mm -hmm. at a higher rate also. And the next thing is that what happens in the Arctic will not stay in the Arctic. It will affect us all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because the Arctic and the ice are two poles. The ice and the snow, uh, they work as our... Uh, our planet's uh, sort of uh, air conditioner or fridge, mm -hmm. uh, because when you have the uh, this ice and snow, it, it reflects the, the rays of the sun back into space. Uh, but when the ice and the snow melts, then the dark ocean or the, the the ground free of snow it absorbs the sun instead. So the more it melts, the faster it melts. Um, basically, yeah. I, I was I was going to ask you this a little later, but you know, since we kind of brought it up, what you know, what would you say to people that think? And and again, there is a good contingency of of people, you know, a good percentage um, that mm. do think this that climate change it's not real, it's a hoax. Mm. Well, there there what are you know? well, I don't know, yeah. I, it's, <laughs> you know, it's like trying to argue with someone who says that Earth is flat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and there is like, uh, the Earth is flat society with thousands of members. Um, I, I don't really know what to say. You know, Google it. Because it's so stupid. I'm sorry. It's because. Oh, it is. Climate, it is. It is. It, is. it really is. Climate change is a fact. It's real. Yeah. It's not a political opinion. It's a fact. And the fact also that we are a big part of the cause of this, how we live huge, and what we huge. do. We're a huge part of it. That is also a yeah. fact. It's not a political opinion. And burning fossil fuels, oil and coal, for example, is a huge part of it. That's also a fact. Um, Eating meat. And anyone is a big who. Part who of it. Sorry? 
eating meat is a huge factor yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah, abs- absolutely. The, the food consumption, yeah. absolutely. Um, yes, so there are many parts of it. And we, yeah. you know, by our way of life, we cause climate change. That's uh, That's a fact. And we know how to stop this or make it better. We know. We know the problems and we know the solutions. It, it should be quite easy. The problem, though, is money and greedy, short-sighted politicians and big corporations. The good news, though, is that we own the politicians. We own these huge companies. We vote in elections and we vote with our wallets when we go to the store. When you go to the store, you can pick, you know, the the big red steak, or you can get a salad. That sounds very boring, <laughs> but you know, yeah. everything, every, every time you buy something, you actually approve of the product and the company who made the product and how it was produced. So going to the store and buying stuff, if it's a, an apple in the store, or if it's a new car, no matter what you buy, if it's big or small, Uh, you vote. So we do have that power. And also, of course, in elections. So, yeah. You know, I can say... I think... No, I was just going to say that I think, to your point, that I put less emphasis on government and and, and large corporations because I think at the end of the day, they will go where the money is right so if Mm. we that's why i feel like it's better to to put emphasis on educating individuals because if you as an individual decide to buy a tesla instead of a you know oil guzzling suv or whatever car it is that that you know that uses oil and if you as an individual go to the supermarket and you buy meat alternatives rather than a steak or, or pork or whatever meat that that you eat and if you as a individual uh, don't use plastic bags and recycle plastic and use less plastic and buy mm-hmm. consume on average less than you did last year, I think that's something that no politician in a democratic country and no corporation will ever tell you to do. They're, they're just not no. going to tell you, hey, consume less. <laughs> hey, throw away less. It's just it's not going to happen because that's what sustains no. economies. So I think it's 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 educating individuals and telling them, hey, like, you know, no one else is going to tell you this. So these are the steps that you should take in order to have a better future for for yourself, for kid, for your kids, for the planet, animals, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. Um, you know, and it's 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 basically I think it's about, about starting to look at this planet as our home to, to really feel that connection. You know, we some say sometimes that now if you're at home and you, you drop something on, on the floor at home, like a coffee or, or something, uh, do you clean that up? Of course you do. Uh, yeah. and if your house or your apartment would be on fire, would you, tr- would you try to stop that fire? Would you call the fire department? Of course you would. Um, and this planet, what we have outside our house, that is our home, and we don't have anywhere else to go. So uh, let's let's take care of it. And I think it's 
it's about finding this connection to reconnect to to our planet and to our nature i mean a hundred years ago 200 years ago we were a part of nature now we all we move to cities we live in our apartments we order pizza to the door and we watch netflix uh, and we have the entire world in our smartphone um we kind of lost the connection it's about you know and i i think that's what most great uh nature photography and film what what you know we do and all the other great um nature photographers out there are trying to do is to shorten the distance to nature mm-hmm. that many people have now because we, we we used to be a part of it and now for many nature is something that we watch on television or you know plan a vacation to once a year we don't have the connection to nature uh that i think is important yeah it's crucial i think yeah. people got a slap in the face during this corona pandemic you know and i think i hope so we, we we forever thought that we are the rulers of all but you know trees are more important than us bees are more important than us uh mm. most of living things around us are crucial for our survival and you know we um when you see even like a break in uh in, in the whole availability of food like you go the you go in like a month and a half ago you'd go to supermarkets and there's nothing right and people mm. are just trying to grab every little last thing and and then you realize huh I don't have food. I don't know how to hunt. I don't know how to grow <laughs> my own food. I'm so reliable. I'm I'm relying on all these other people that know how to do these things and yeah. that can provide it for me. Yeah. That if that ever breaks, you know, I'm I'm pretty much you're fending for yourself and we forgot that and that's good cuz you know that allowed us to develop the world to what it is right now, but I think it's it's good to remember that sometimes they're like hey we're really really relying on other people and other <clears> industries <throat> and people that know how to provide food for us and electricity and wi-fi and all these different mm. things that we don't know how to do mm. so absolutely i think it's a little humbling absolutely and now we have this huge huge crisis with the coronavirus um and the next big thing could very well be climate change uh you know a similar scenario where yeah. we're all just fucked basically and the problem then is that you know working out and solving the problem of climate change is not a matter of months to find a vaccine because these are slow processes it's a slow process the climate mm-hmm. uh so if we don't act way way before we come into a really catastrophic scenario then we are fucked Um, there's no band-aid for it no no there isn't so let's go back to to polar bears a little bit um Mm -hmm. i'm always you know the 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 photos that that you and melissa take uh or or is it i don't know if it's mainly melissa but um, Mm. the photos that you guys post it always looks so intimate i would i would say and, and and like personal but you guys mm. shoot from like a good distance. Like, I don't know how far away you shoot, but it, it has to be, you know, a good distance. Um, how do you create that? Or is that like the purpose of it? Or like, how do you create that intimate feeling when you're shooting from like, I don't know, two, 300 meters away? 
Well, we we try to spend time with these animals. Um, you know, you can go out there and, and do drive-bys and, you know, see a polar bear coming up to you, looking at you, then it goes away. Then you have a, a beautiful photo of it. But for us, it's more um, a process of time and coming to an area and be, be able to spend uh, more time with individual bears. Um, because then when you actually get the, the animal to relax and you are able to uh, follow it to see its behavior and you, you know, it shares it li its life with you, what, it, what it's doing. Uh, that is what we want to document. And for us, what's, what's between the photographs is perhaps even more important than, than the, the photographs themselves, or at least just as important. Um, we, we're, we're trying to find a connection to these animals, the animals that we document. Um, I don't have a really good answer to why perhaps some photographs, you know, show that. But, um, well, we, we do try to find, find the connection in ourselves to these specific individuals. Um, and hopefully that shows in the photos. And as for distance, okay. you know, the, the distance to the bears, it's, it's very, um, sometimes it's very far away. Some, sometimes it's a bit closer. So the distance, it's, it's the distance in meters. It's, it's not so important to us. Um, as long as, it, as we're, you know, close enough to, uh, get good photos with our tele lenses, it's, uh, it's fine. And, you know, keeping a safe distance is of course also important <laughs> when it comes to polar bears. Yeah. Cause it's aware of you. It knows like it can smell, I think, I don't I remember the number either four or 40 kilometers away. It can smell like, yeah, something, know, like something, a few miles, something like that. Yeah. a few miles absolutely like, so you can, it, it obviously knows you're there and it's cognizant that that you're in the yeah, yeah. in the vicinity no it's 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 impossible to hide from a polar bear it, it, it will know that you are there way before you see it yeah uh you know and also it's, it's a world of ice and snow there's very little smell so when you are there and you you know put up a camp or stay in a cabin stay for a little while you have, you know, and you cook food, you sweat, you don't shower for a week and you go to the toilet and so on. Uh, this yeah. place becomes like a magnet for polar bears. They can smell, you know, smell their way from miles away. Uh, so yes, they are always, they're, they're aware of you. Of course they are. Are there polar bears that you've, you know, like year after year, you come in and you already like maybe name them or you know them, or is it new ones each year? Um, it's uh, some, a few occasions we've seen bears that I think could have been the, the same bear as the year before. It's difficult. Um, over a season, if you know, during a winter, we can kind of sometimes uh, follow a specific polar bear. But coming back a year later and hoping to see the same individual, that's very difficult because they travel, they move all the time. 
uh, huge distances, these bears. They can um, swim like for days, right? The, I think there's yeah. a story I heard where the, those polar bears swam for like three days. Uh, yeah, even longer. Uh, actually, it's in our book. I don't have the number in my head now, but I, I think, think it's longer, like seven days or something. Wow. Um, yeah, they're amazing swimmers, of course. Uh, but there's a limit to that also. And that's, um, I mean, they only swim when they're actually trying to get to ice. So, uh, swimming, it's not like they want to swim for a few days. Um, yeah. I mean, for example, you had, I think it was a year and a half ago or so. The thing is that pregnant female polar bears, they, they need to go on land to give birth. Um, and they go, uh, they build a den. Polar bears don't go into dens like brown bears do, but only when they give birth. So, uh, a, a female polar bear about to give birth, she goes up on land in October, November and builds a den under the snow, a little cave, um, where she stays throughout winter, uh, to give birth and nurture new life. And then she comes out in. March, April with the little cubs. And that means that the the bears, because many bears like to follow the North Pole pack ice as it moves through the seasons. Um, and it means basically that uh, the polar bear needs the ice, of course, for its life, because that's where it finds its food, seals. Uh, but it also needs access to land. So as the the pack ice uh, recedes north and melts, uh, it also in some areas uh, goes further, fur, uh, further and further away from land. So the distance between land and ice increases. But in October, November, when a polar bear is about to give birth, she needs access to land. So there was an example a year and a half ago about a bear who was on the ice and she swam for, I think it was five days, five straight days. She swam to, uh, to land to go up on a hill and build her den to give birth. And that's not a great, uh, situation for her because when she's been swimming for five days, not eating, uh, she's pretty worn out and not in great condition. When she goes up and on land to build this den and then stay there for four or five months without eating and giving birth. Um, so that's not very good. And the next thing when it comes to swimming is that when they come out with the newborn cubs in, in March, April, uh, they need immediate access to ice because the, these small cubs, they cannot swim. Uh, they don't survive. They don't have the, the fat the fat layer to survive in the cold yeah. water. So they die uh, if there is no ice. Mm -hmm. How close so, have you ever, like, have you ever had like a really close encounter with uh, with the polar bear? Uh, I've had a bunch, uh, but mostly, some, or some I would say only. Or... Sorry? Some scary, some, you know, that you really yeah, got scared or? Scared, yeah, scared. You shouldn't get scared when you uh, face the polar bears. 
<laughs> close up because they feel it. You know, they're like dogs. Yeah. So leave yeah. the being scared part to to afterwards. Um, but yeah, like I like I said before, when we have this camp or we stay in a cabin, we become like a magnet for bears. So um, yeah, most or if not all really close encounters and sort of scary situations have been around the cabin or the camp um, where you can, you know, it happens that you open the door in the morning and, and he's right there. You, know, you can touch him. That oh, wow. has happened uh, a few times. Then you hit him gently in the head and hope that he goes away. That he doesn't hit you back. <laughs> no, and I, actually even the, the very first uh, night out there my first uh, night on my first winter expedition uh, it was on northern Spitsbergen and I, at that time I hadn't seen a polar bear closer than I don't know a mile away from a ship mm -hmm. so I had been driving for hours and hours 15 hours I think from the village over glaciers uh, over fjord ice and mountains 15 hours and I came to Northern Spitsburg and I, I was so tired and came to one of these old uh, trapper cabins um, built by a polar bear hunter a hundred years ago. As I was tired, I was cold. I went inside, closed and secured the door and the little window on the inside and laid down in the top bed of the bunk bed to sleep. Um, and the, the cabin was very small. The ceiling was low and laying on this top bed was like laying in a coffin almost. And I had like a couple of inches maybe above my face in the ceiling. <clears throat> so I fell asleep, but you know, I woke up pretty quickly because the ceiling was hitting my face. Um, <laughs> and on top of me was a polar bear jumping on the roof. Uh, no. with all his power trying to crush the, this thin roof like it was ice and I was a little seal pup or something. Um, so yeah, and yeah. that was the first one. That was the, that first, was the one. first one. Yeah, and there have been yeah, there have been many. Um, another time uh, was on an island. That, that was actually this uh, we talked about how cold it was. In this expedition when it was like 45 minus 50 celsius for a long time wow. um i went there with a helicopter and the i don't know it was carrying stuff into the cabin had made camp in an old trapper cabin and only i think an hour after the helicopter had left um the first bear approached from the ice um and it got closer and closer and I started making noise. And first you use like uh, casseroles and kitchen things like a pan. Yeah. Uh, and you, you know, make noise is the best way. I did that, but he continued coming closer. He didn't stop. So I fired some warning shots with a rifle. He did no reaction. Still, you know, heading straight towards me. So then I took the flare gun. That's also a very good thing to have. Uh, the flare gun is like, you know, this thing that you use if there's a mayday yeah, on a boat. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like yeah. a firework. Um, so I shot it 
uh, on the ground, on the ice, right in front of him. And it's like a little bomb that explodes when it lands. And it, you know, it mm-hmm. scares the scares the shit out of anyone. And 99 yeah. out of 100 bears would just run. So I rarely have to use this. But it this thing exploded right next to him. And then he stopped just briefly. And he looked at it. And then he looked at me, stared me straight in the eye, and looked at this gunpowder on the ice next to him. And then he ate the gunpowder. And then he looked at me again and continued walking straight towards me. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah. That was a special one. Well, continue making noise. Actually started throwing things at him. And thankfully I was in in a cabin. I could close the door. Uh, so it was like an hour of more noise and more flare gun shots. And, you know, he, I was tired. He got tired. <laughs> and finally, <laughs> he retreated out on the ice. Um, I don't know, 100, 200 yards, maybe. Um, lay down to sleep. And the next morning, he was gone. But then this bear, I was there for a few weeks. And the last night... Um, was waiting for a helicopter to pick me up the next morning. And on the final night, it was like securing the cabin and closing up. I saw a silhouette far out on the ice. And I, I, I just knew that it was the same bear again. I don't know. Yeah. Somehow I just felt it. So then we did the same kind of song and dance for, I don't know. It felt like two hours, but maybe it was 30 minutes with flare gun shots and noise. And he just didn't want to back off um but then finally again he laid down i don't know two three hundred yards out he gave up and lay down and it was so cold it was 45 something minus and i was so tired so i secured the door and the window and i went to bed the the wall next to the bed is maybe like an inch thick or so i lay Mm -hmm. down and as i was Falling asleep, I heard heavy, heavy, slow steps breaking through the snow crust outside. And they got closer, and then finally I heard like a big bounce as he laid down right next to me. (laughs) Maybe a foot away or so, on the other side of the wall. Uh, So the last night we slept side by side, basically. (laughs) Almost cuddling. Yeah, almost cuddling. And the next morning it was gone. So <laughs> was no, he just really many... hungry? Because you're, you're saying that's not that's not like typical polar bear behavior. Like no, uh, and the, made him act. Yeah, you know the thing is that polar bears they're all different. They're, like as humans, they're individuals. Some are yeah. shy, some are aggressive, some are playful. And like with humans, you know, one or two will be a psychopath. So yeah, uh, they there are psycho psycho bears also. I think maybe he was one of those. Um, but most bears are perfectly fine, um, well-behaved, and you can uh, work with them in a safe way. But the, the the problem, of course, is around the camp because these smells um, from the camp of food and human flesh and so on can trigger, trigger behaviors that, that you know, really want um so you need to be careful there yeah yeah we uh we tend to think of 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 
you know, species as uh, as a unit, right? Like, mm. oh, lions behave X and polar bears right. behave Y and cats oh. and dogs behave. But they're, you know, like you said, they're kind of like us. They have their own unique personalities. One's lazy, one's active. Like I can see this with, with dogs, obviously, you know, I've had dogs mm. my whole life and they're all so different from each other. And there's no real reason why wild animals would be any different. No, yeah, exactly. it's one of those things you don't really think about. It's weird, no. yeah. No, but that's how it is. Uh, I mean, they do have some similarities, of course. Um, but yeah. like humans, most yes, exactly. Um, yeah. But for the most part, they are they're very different, and every you know, and that's what we're do trying to do. We're trying to tell uh, the story of the polar bear as a species, but also of the different personalities that we. Uh, encounter and get to know because I think that's also uh, important to to show um, who they are as a species as, and as individuals you think so um, Svalbard is, is one of the best places to see polar bears um, yeah I would think so um, you know, it's a matter of if you're talking about coming there as a guest or a tourist or so, it's, of course, it's a question of budget also. It is expensive yeah. to travel around. Um, I mean, Svalbard is a good place. Um, also you have Canada, of course, Churchill. Yeah, Man Manitoba, so. right? Manitoba, yeah. exactly. Um, but I think it's important to, of course, to do it in a way, in a responsible way also. And, but I do think that most operators up there, both on Svalbard and in, in Manitoba, are very uh, responsible. It's about not disturbing also. Um, polar bears are easily disturbed by, by noise and uh, humans. So, yeah. But Svalbard, yeah. yes. Yeah. And then, then I would say the best way, if you really want to see and experience polar bears, go on a, um, on a cruise ship, uh, because that's not so disturbing to the bears. Winter time, a lot of we do it when we work, me and Melissa, we go out with snowmobiles, scooters, uh, during the winter. Um, and that's one way, but as a, as a, you know, without experience and knowledge, you need to go on kind of a guided trip and then you go out with a big group of people. And then it's, I would say, not possible to, to see polar bears because you, you disturb too much. Um, yeah. but then going on one of these cruise ships, um, that's probably the best way, but it's very expensive. Um, or go to Manitoba. Um, yeah, I might, I might have to go there. I might have to go there soon. That's uh, yeah. it. Looks it looks like a lot of fun. Um, yeah. They have those like little tanks or uh, like little yeah. Buses they call them with, like, tundra wheels. buggies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, those actually, like, we've been we've been um, asked to host a trip there uh, next fall. I think October twenty one. Really, uh, do like a guided trip on one of those um we see we haven't really decided yet but 
right. yeah. well, uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch. If, if you yeah. do, I'll, I'll <laughs> definitely, uh, I'll definitely want to join one of those. Awesome. That almost, that awesome. looks, you know, not every day you see a polar bear. So no, like no. A fun experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless, unless unless your name is Frederick, then I guess you see polar bears <laughs> all the time. But no, 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 yeah. no. No, it's it's not like that either. You know, you look and you see our book, or you see uh, what we post on, on social media and so on, and those are the highlights. Uh, between yeah. those highlights, there is uh, a lot of time of nothing. Um, a lot of time of, of great experiences and a wonderful time, but also time without polar bears and they are they can be very far they, they can be a long distance between the polar bears and a long time between the polar bears also you can go out there and yeah. be out for weeks without seeing polar bears. so that's the thing with uh, these expeditions and the field work that you you can plan it into detail but you never really know what will happen until you're actually out there so i've had i know one winter i was out for i think three months and came home without one single good photograph um and at other times you know you can go out for two three days and just experience miracles and magic non-stop you never really know and that's the beauty of it i think um that you have to kind of let nature guide you and let nature decide. You cannot really so you, direct you it. You mentioned your book. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned your book. Um, so the English version of the Swedish book that you guys have, Frozen, uh, which mm-hmm. won an award, uh, is coming out, I believe, in the U.S. sometime this year or next year? This year, in September. That? Sure. Um, it's called Actually, the Swedish book is the Swedish version of the English book. <laughs> we we oh, wrote, really? yeah, the book was made uh, for the English market uh, first of all for the U.S. market. Okay, so we wrote the book in English, um, but then we were elected to we won this Swedish World Wildlife Fund Award Book of the Year. Uh, which kind of forced, stressed to make the Swedish edition very quickly. That's why it came out first. Um, but yes, it comes in oh, the US and also in Germany, in English and German, uh, in uh, September, October. The US version comes on September 29th, published by Risoli in New York. Uh, it is called Polar Tales, and it is a story about... All of us told by the polar bear. Wow, that's awesome. And it's a big, beautiful book um, with a lot of amazing photography by Melissa Schaeffer. Who is your partner? Who is my partner, yes. Um, well, that's awesome, man. So yeah. I guess final question from me. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, guys, make sure you do pick that up once it's out. Um, but as far as what do you think, you know, with obviously climate change and, and public opinion kind of always changing and with uh, COVID-19 happening now, and uh, you know, we don't know really how people are going to be acting on the other end. I guess it depends on, on many different variables like 
economics and uh you know what's going to happen with this virus social distancing etc uh, but are people going to be more accepting of of the fact and and and, and be better stewards of, of this earth or are people going to go back to their old ways and become even worse and i don't know use up more resources etc so it's, it's difficult to see and you know obviously our actions and daily habits uh, have a big impact on on animals and, and nature. So, with all that said, and all <laughs> those un unknowns, what do you think is the future of uh, polar bears? The future is bright. Uh, I'm an optimist. I've always been an optimist, and I would like to maybe most of all look at the young generation, the new generation coming with Greta Thunberg. For example, uh, they yeah. will be unstoppable, uh, and they will turn this ship from its very sad direction. Um, I'm an optimist. We're going to turn this around. And for the you know older people who don't want to, they're going to be forced by Greta Thunberg and the you know the young people. They will not take no for an answer. I like that. Oh, yeah. I like that. <laughs> um, all right, man. So our time is up for the day. I want to really thank you for, for coming, you know, and then taking the time and talking Oof. to us about the book, about polar bears. I know you're in Sweden right now, so it's fun to, to connect with someone from so far away. Still have so yeah. much in common <laughs> and, and share a common, uh, you know, love of nature and animals. So I really appreciate all of it. And oh, uh, yeah, thank you. People, uh, <laughs> yeah man thank no, you listen, where can people find you yeah thank and thank you for having me it's been great uh it's been awesome people can find you on instagram and on your website correct yeah yeah website is uh the motherbear dot com and uh you can find both him and melissa on yeah. uh, instagram where you'll see unbelievable pictures of polar bears, funny pictures of polar bears, bad <laughs> pictures of polar bears and everything in between. Yeah. And all right, man. Yeah. Thanks yeah. again for coming on. It's been, a, well, been fun. Thank you.